Hello, Chris here with another episode of the Make It Podcast for your ears and for your mind. And before we get started, full disclosure, you will hear some background noise from Mother Nature in this episode uh, intermittently throughout the episode. Um, That is because we did the interview partially outside. And uh, so you'll hear like birds. You might even hear an ice cream truck. And personally, me. I think the birds, uh, when they do uh, show up on the audio, actually sound fairly pleasant. Uh, but uh, to each his own. I, my opinion is is that uh, that that noise doesn't take away from the depth and the uh, fun of the content. So I hope that is your opinion as well. And of course, uh, I apologize for uh, not having perfect audio uh, in this conversation. So. With that said, on to today's podcast guest. This week, we talk with musician, writer, actor, and producer, Corby Linker. Corby is a heavy touring, award-winning singer-songwriter, a published author, and creator, and star of a new scripted web series named Morse Code. As a musician, his live shows swing between a whisper and a shout, prompting the magazine No Depression to note, One of the most striking things about seeing Linker perform is his relationship with his guitar. He doesn't just play it, he becomes it, or maybe it becomes part of him. Corby is the recipient of numerous songwriting awards, most recently a first place win at the 2016 Rocky Mountain Folks Festival Songwriters Contest. Corby tours regularly and has shared the stage with the likes of Willie Nelson, Ray LaMontagne, Nickel Creek, and many others. His collection of short stories, named Medium Hero, was published in December of 2015 on Turner Publishing and received critical praise from National Book Award-winning author Tim O'Brien, Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak, and Kirkus Reviews. In 2018, Corby turned his efforts toward the small screen, creating a scripted web series loosely based on his life as a traveling singer-songwriter, again called Morse Code, which quickly became a Nashville scene critic's pick, which is a coveted award here locally. And now, without further delay, I give you the man with rock star hair, a bluegrass soul, and a silver screen smile. Musician, writer, actor. And producer, Corby Linker. You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley. Hi guys, my name is Corby Linker and I'm a writer, musician, actor, producer. Um, probably mostly known for being a hard touring, uh, long time singer songwriter. And uh, a couple of years ago I published, uh, I had a book of short stories get published called Morse called medium hero. And most recently, 
uh, I created, uh, produce, write, and star in a web series called Morse Code. So I'm glad to be here and let's see where this conversation goes. Absolutely. Uh, Corby, thank you so much for joining us on the uh, Make It podcast. And, uh, you know, I was, I was talking to you earlier about how it's kind of a pleasure for me to be able to um, have someone who's a musician on the on the podcast sort of as a profession first versus maybe doing music on the side and being a filmmaker first, which is normally who we who we interview. And, um, because I, you know, I've been accused of talking too much about my life in in music. Um, so now I have, yeah, so now I have an excuse to talk about it, uh, without it being out of context. So yeah, man, you have a willing audience in me. (laughs) Exactly. So thank you so much. Um, thank you so much for joining. You know, you, you, you really are a unique guy and you've, you've lived a very, um, uh, individualized life you've, you've lived a, um, a very unique life that, that that you've carved out for yourself um, from the beginning and uh, it all started way back a long time ago in Idaho and uh, and now you find yourself uh, in Nashville so um, talk to me about when you knew because you've been quoted as saying you knew it was always going to be music uh, when did you know that? How did you know you were going to uh, be a musician and nothing but a musician? <laughs> well, um, I had a lot of, I had a couple of formative experiences as a kid that really made me feel like music was something um, that meant a lot to me, and it was also it it was also something I I felt like I could do. Um, my people in my in my in my life at an early age sort of treated me like I could do it. And I believed them, <laughs> I guess be a clumsy way of putting it. But, um, yeah, you know, I grew up in a little town in Idaho and my parents were not musical at all, but they really? <clears throat> no, they, they, they could care less to be honest. They, I never <laughs> once saw them buy a record or have an opinion about anything pop music related or, I mean, it was all just like the songs at church that we'd sing out of the hymnal. That was the whole world of music for them and, and for me until I was probably in eighth grade. And I fell in with a kid uh, who ended up kind of being my friend on uh, the later half of my childhood. And his dad had a huge record collection. And it was a lot, like a lot of the folk rock 60s and 70s artists, and mm-hmm. Neil Young and Joni Mitchell and James Taylor and stuff like that. And, um, I was, that was really like the first time, like the world kind of cracked open for me, but I had been playing music the whole time. I just didn't know what to listen to. Anyway, I was in a high school band and, um, we were real serious about it. Um, we played a lot around Idaho and then I, um, went to college and was a jam band freak. I was a fish freak for a while and tra- was a music minor. Well, I was a music major for a while until I was just like, this is dumb. I don't really need to know how to read music any better than I already do. But I, while I was doing that, I was like transcribing Trey Anastasio guitar solos for most of my undergrad. And, and then I just decided that fish had done everything a rock and roll band could do. And so uh, somewhere in there, in my early twenties, I fell into bluegrass music. 
that's really what I did for God, eight years probably right. out there. Well, well, you started so, out playing piano, right? I did. So did you have visions of being a piano man? Were you going to be Billy Joel first and then switch? <laughs> no, I, I didn't really. Um, I mean, I kind of quit practicing when I was 13 or 14. And that was right when uh, then I, I, I my parents found a gar- uh, guitar for me at a garage sale, an acoustic guitar. And so I started learning chords on that. And it doesn't take a lot of chops to play Neil Young songs. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of really when it started for me. Um, I was probably 14 or 15 learning Neil Young and, and cure covers. Those, those things not very closely related. Oh, no. uh, <laughs> but, but, uh, it was like, those were the two main influences uh, for me just starting out in music. And, um, and then I play, you know, I played music. I, I play piano all the time. Actually, that's mostly what I'm doing these days, but I tour as a guitar player. Um, right. When, and, when did that, so that shift happened for you when your parents bought the guitar? The yeah. It, was and they, and they forbid me to, to, to pers- it was, there was nothing deliberate about it. I feel like there's <laughs> almost nothing deliberate about anything I do. It's just like a string of momentary interests kind of one after another, like over a lifetime. I mean, that's how I got into film. I didn't set out to be a filmmaker, but I'm very serious about it now. And, um, uh, we can get into that, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. The music thing, it's hard to talk at. It, it was just, for me, I, I was, the piano gave me a, a theory, a theory background. So I could see, you know, like with the keyboard, you can see how chords work together way mm-hmm. easier than you can on a guitar. Yes. And that was really helpful. And then when I went to college, and, you know, was formally trained in music theory. It was like the world, it was like unlocking the secrets of the musical universe, you know, to like know what a five and five chord was, how diminished chords work, how you can modulate in different keys. I was really interested in some of the more intellectual uh, avenues of musical expression when I was younger. And that's why I was so into Fish, because they pushed all of it. Yeah, but it still rocked when it, you know. Yeah, the outcome still. Um, and, and sometimes musicians do get in their own way in their songwriting, which, which I can say you, you don't. You're, you're a really great songwriter uh, because you don't let the technical get in the way of the outcome of, of the song, the feeling, and the simplicity of, of just um, trying to express yourself in, in the most um, appealing way, you know. And, and I, I was listening to music this morning and I thought, man, that's super technical, but it hurt the song. Um, you know, oh, well, thanks. Out, it, yeah. It, it's almost like uh, every album Alanis Morissette ever did after Jagged Little Pill was like her trying to push minor key songs and, te- and technical down our throat while still trying to be who she was. And... Um, and, and she was never able to really capture the match that she had on Jagged Little Pill for just one example. Um, yeah, man. I mean, it's really easy to – you have to ride this line because if you don't – I mean, it's it's really great to have a, a broad palette from which to choose. you know. And you build that broad palette by studying music and learning about how it works. And so you've got all these – you've got so many more colors, but then the trick is to not let those – like not be complicated for its own sake or as soon as somebody, I feel like in my own songwriting, if I, 
the second that, that a listener suddenly pulls out of the song and goes, oh, wait, what was that chord? I've lost them. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> so it's really I, – I mean I honestly like keep it really simple. These days I mostly try to lean toward a one, four, five, six with a you know, not to get technical stuff, but like I keep it really, really simple. And but there's always gotta be some little thing in there, hope that you know, a little twist or something that just is takes it out of just a straight Taylor Swift style four chord song progression. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with that. No, it, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting point. Um, sometimes you can make that happen in the bridge. You know, sometimes it can be the fourth chord in a in the series that takes you somewhere you didn't think you was going to go. You know, that your ear naturally wants to go to the a place and you take it somewhere else. So, yeah, I, I, I get it. Um, and, and that's a way to like change it up, but but keep it simple. Um, I completely agree with you on theory, by the way. Uh, learning piano first, that, that's how that's what I did as well. It really uh, gives you your brain a visual for how music looks, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah. Well, you can, you can just see how chords are spelled and then how they how they fit with other chords. And it's just all laid out there. Yeah. I mean, there's I mean, it's a great. The great example is that there's five middle C's on an on an acoustic guitar, five mm-hmm. ways to play one note. Yeah. There's only one on a piano. There's only one of everything. <laughs> right. It's just like it's just laid out there on yeah. a grid. Yeah, that's a really good. It's a really good point. You mentioned college. You went to Western Washington University uh, in Bellingham. Um, yeah. What, you went there for music. Is that a music school? No, I went there because I was just uh, when I graduated from high school. I didn't want to go to college. And I wanted to just do something. I was in love with a girl. I ended up marrying her at 18. Wow. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, moved out to Washington. We went to Seattle. This was like right at the height of Nirvana. And, uh, we were small town kids from Idaho. Just like, we'll go to Seattle and just hang out. And, uh, I was there for a day. We were going to live with her rich uncle while we kind of sorted it out. And at the time I was like driving a VW bus and I had dreadlocks and was just like, you know, rough looking. And, uh, the, the uptight rich guy was like, you should go up to Bellingham. And so we, he just sent, a, I'd never even heard of Bellingham. So I just like landed there on accident and, uh, ended up establishing residency in Washington state so I could go to school cheaper. So I worked, uh, at the mall for a year when I was 18 Where at? and then, uh, in Bellingham. I mean, but where, where, where in the mall? Oh, uh, Kit's ca- Kit, cameras. I was the photo <laughs> photo lab manager. What was, um, the, uh, what was the strangest photo you ever saw someone try to develop? Oh God! Uh, I mean, there's lots of like you know party butt cheek photos of like spreading. <laughs> but I just remember like a kid I grew up with, like it, like his. I had my fifth grade teacher. She had two kids that I grew up with that were my same age, and like their role of Christmas photos came in, and one of them was just him, just like spreading his. <laughs> cheeks at the camera. I was just like, God, I can't unsee that. It's awful. <laughs> yeah. That's the best. That's the best. Yeah. That was the best. Yeah. That was an era. There was there was an era, right? Where like like uh, mooning people was was the thing. You don't see moons yeah. that much anymore. You don't moons see don't yeah, they're, they're, they've 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 gone underground, the mooners. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mooned somebody about two years ago at a party at a, you know, spontaneously. It was fun. But it's more like a callback. <laughs> yeah, well, it's never flattering to see your, you know, well, see, yeah, see a well, moon caught. 
Well, here's what it is. I blame specifically uh, DM. DMing killed Moon because in the DMs, you can sun people. So when sunning became normal, normalized, then mooning became sort of like weak. Yeah. Passe. Why moon when you can sun? Yeah, why moon? moon? (laughs) Exactly. Why moon when you can sun and be all up in the DMs doing it? So uh, that's just another thing Snapchat stole from us. Um, Mooning. No, it's not curse, just them. Curse you, Snapchat. Yeah, it's not just them. It's 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 everything. It's everything. Um, so cool. Yeah. So so you so you graduated college and you stayed in Washington State during the rock scene in the early nineties, or and, yeah, and like, I, yeah. Uh, this is like mid nineties, late nineties, and um, I college. I was really into fish for a while. I was trying to figure. out I mean, I knew that I wanted to play music. I just didn't know what where. It, which direction to go. And I always had, had a heart for singer songwriting, but I also was interested in guitar playing was pretty good, uh, for small town college. Um, and so I fell in with some guys that were really good, um, at bluegrass and I'd never really been exposed to it, but, um, early on in that, um, experiment. I went to this bluegrass festival in Tacoma called Wintergrass. And I just remember walking into this, the festival was at a hotel downtown Tacoma. It was at the Mm -hmm. Radisson or something. I just remember walking through the lobby doors of the hotel and it's just being like, there's just music. There's like little kids playing with grandpas and just people playing music together. And I didn't grow up with that at all. Um, and it, it really blew me away because it was, the music was about, it was a shared expression. It was people being together, playing music. It wasn't about standing up on a stage and have somebody point a camera at you. And I was really attracted to that. And also bluegrass, it had a combination of simplicity and technical elegance that was really attractive to me because bluegrass songs are really just three chord songs for the most part. I mean, it's just, it's the simple chordally, but technically very difficult to play, you know, to, to really flat pick. And so it gave me something to do, um, you know, to to try to like shoot for. So I spent like five years trying to be Tony Rice or Brian Sutton or all these, these flat picking guitar gods. And it's really just not in my blood. I mean, there was no shortage of of effort on my part and, and, and and technique practices and watching videos and reading interviews and following everything and picking, I had a good ear and I could pick solos off records or off of videos, but just that the sheer facility of speed. Um, anyway, in hindsight, is that, is that not just flat picking, but flat picking at the pace of bluegrass. Um, that's what makes it so challenging. Um, that the pace you have to sort of pick at and play melodically. Um, I did. I did watch your video with Molly. Is it Molly Tippett? Molly um, Tuttle. Or yeah, Tuttle. She's, Tuttle. Sorry, 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 sorry. Molly yeah. Tuttle. That was great. Yeah. She, no, she's a great. I mean, she's somebody who can four reels do it. I yeah. mean, she's she a really the hell out of that thing. She picks the shit out of guitar, no doubt. Mm. Um, but that that exercise. I mean, those those years weren't lost on me. I definitely. It, got a lot of technique in my hands and you know it's it served me well even though i'm not a bluegrass person and i mean that's part of it you know it's like when i I was in my 20s i thought 
maybe I'm a bluegrass guy. I love, there's things that were really appealed to me, um, in a basic way, you know, appeal to my personality and my, like what I was looking for in art and music. And, uh, so I pursued that. And after pursuing it long enough, you, you run up against obstacles and you're like, well, do I leave, you know, do I overcome these obstacles? Or do I listen to what these obstacles are telling me? And I've always been pretty stubborn and I kind of have to be told over and over again before I'll kind of break off and try something else. Mm-hmm. But it, it, you know, I'm, I, when I'm, especially when I moved to Nashville, well, let's back up a second. When I was in Seattle, um, I kind of had a moment where I, I mattered a little bit. I had management and I was like the guy in Seattle who was, you know, the up and coming songwriter. And so if there's about a year where I opened for everybody that was even remotely could be construed as being folk or country. So that was like Rayla Montaigne, but also Keith Urban or Nickel Creek. Uh, these bands are very not related at all, but in Seattle in the Northwest where there's not really a country vernacular, mm-hmm. uh, they sort of were. And, and when I would play like club shows, I do kind of my singer songwriter rock thing. And then in the middle of the show, we would do like a three or four song bluegrass set around the one mic because the other guys in the band, they were, great musicians and the, you know, the organ guy could totally tear up a mandolin or a fiddle. And so that was part of the appeal. But when I moved to Nashville, it was just like pretty much immediately obvious that the level here was, and the, and the dedication and the, the niche uh, culture that exists in Nashville made it obvious that I was not a bluegrass person, nor did I want to be. Yeah. Blue, bluegrass people are really, that's what they are. Like there's really, and I, I would like double down on that now, like having been here for a long time and have a lot of bluegrass friends. But if you're like going to hang your shingle out as a bluegrass picker, that's going to be what you do because they're really, uh, it's niche I guess I would say. Yeah, and, and I guess my question to you is, is, is what surprises me is that is that you found bluegrass in the in an era where it would make the most sense if you're playing guitar to be in in alt rock. So how did you how did you avoid that? How did you uh, especially especially being a fan of those bands? Yeah, well, I mean that's a great. I, mean, I think that's part of it's like personality is I'm really, I'm dorky, you know, I'm like not a cool rock guy. And even though I love those bands, I really like, you have have rock hair though. (laughs) That's about (laughs) as rock. That's where it starts and ends my friend. Uh, but also because I I grew up in, or I went to college in Bellingham, Bellingham was a different culture uh, than Seattle. And when I lived up there, especially the first five years, I barely came to Seattle Mm-hmm. And that was the tail end. I moved there in 95 or six, uh, you know, nevermind was four years old by then. Nirvana was almost done. Yeah. Um, and even already like death cab for cutie, like the new generation of, of Seattle bands yeah. were coming up and, and, and death I was kind of more emo. Yeah. And I didn't anyway. like death cab at all. I didn't like, I mean, Ben Gibbard's talented dude. We're actually the same age. He went to, he went to Western the first year. Death Cab started in Bellingham. Um, but I just was like, that's exactly where I wasn't going when that was happening. It was like, you know, kids wearing white belts and just all the look at me 
shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just really didn't like it. Um, but I, you know, I think Ben's actually amazing and the, the songwriting is great. And, um, there's been a lot of things that I didn't like when I was younger that took me a while to like go, Oh no, I kind of get that now. It's like, it, you know, well, I've been I, a slow burn for sure. <laughs> I, I noticed that people find you and find your music, uh, oftentimes sort of in, in, in folk channels. Uh, but yeah, I, that's I, what I would be surprised if you described yourself as a folk artist. Do I have that right? I, I, I describe myself as a folk artist for sure. Okay. okay. I didn't, think I do. Well, I, I do, especially now more than ever. Um, you know, I, yeah. Um, I think that that's part of my long, my long journey home <laughs> as it were <laughs> that like, that's, that's really, I, I, I'm folky. Let's see. I mean, one thing is, is that I try to have a lot of variety in what I do. And when I play shows, my shows have qu- have a lot of um, a dynamic range and a thematic range. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I've written a lot of different kinds of songs and because I've been doing it for so long, the catalog, you know, there's a lot to draw from. And, um, but the approach, and especially nowadays, the way I make art, mm-hmm. uh, the approach is what I would call a folk ethos mm-hmm. in that I'm not interested in polished videos anymore. Uh, music videos. Um, I, I make a lot of stuff. In fact, I'm just recorded something last night that I'll post today. And, um, I really like to capture what's happening in a room with as little editing as possible, you know, like a, a, like high quality recordings, um, audio and video and no editing. That's sort of where I'm at. Um, and that's a lot of your videos remind me a little bit of, of like a Damien Rice, video. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. And, and I think it's, more fun. A nice, uh, it's a good segue into just, um, who I view you really as like, you could, you could compartmentalize yourself as a musician, but I really view you as the ultimate independent creative because, um, you've sustained a career, you pay your bills doing it. You tour around the country as a musician. You have a web series. You've written a book. Uh, which we'll get into. You've really done, if it's creative, um, you're not afraid of it and you delve right into it. Um, uh, go, going back I wouldn't to, say that I'm not afraid of it. I'm uh, <laughs> very afraid of it. Go, go into that a little bit. What? It, uh, expound on that. Uh, I mean, I, I'm afraid a lot. I'm afraid a lot of times. I'm afraid now, right now, making Morse code. Um, we shot, uh, we the first weekend of filming for the new episode was last weekend. I was afraid going into it. I was afraid, uh, about other people's performances. I was afraid of my own performance. I was afraid of that. The script wasn't good enough. I mean, I'm like, I live in fear just like anybody. I think that that's not, is it, is it fear of, uh, failure? Fear of, yeah. of not fear of being brand? stupid. Yeah. No, I don't really, I'm not very strategic like that. I don't, I, I don't know. That's an, that conversation. That's another, I think, shortcoming of mine um, is that ability to visualize a brand and you know, kind of stay true to something that's calculated. I don't know how to do that, mm-hmm. but um, no, it's fear of yeah, it's fear of failure. It's really fear of doing a bad job, and I mean, it's the same fear uh, of as when I sit down and try to write a song. I mean, anytime you you 
pursue something creative, a, a singular creative act, say, you're taking a big chance mm-hmm. that you're, it's not going to go the way you want it to or, or, or it's not going to yield a positive result. And you're going to look back and go like, damn it, I wish I could have those four hours back. Or, or you'll think something's good and you'll share it with, with the world or somebody you care about and they won't give a shit or they'll, they won't like it. I mean, there's so many things that happen that aren't the result that you want to have happen. And they happen like more often than not. Yeah. Um, The artist is the one that puts themselves out there. And that's why, you know, I'm a, I'm never overcritical on any kind of, um, and maybe to a fault. And that's why I have to have someone like Nick, uh, as my business partner, because he's a lot more, um, critical, um, than I would be because I, I know what it's like to, to put yourself out there and hope you did a great job and then realize maybe you didn't and, and, and that there's something to just having the effort. Um, Nick can be a lot more objective. He's a lot more disciplined with his emotions than I am there. Therefore you can say, yeah, great job putting yourself out there, but you know, this didn't hit the mark. Um, but, but that's a tough one. I, I remember I wrote a song for my girlfriend at the time and I played it for her over the phone. First of all, that's a huge mistake because you can't get anything through the phone. And this is, you know, this is, you know, pre cell phone. And, um, and I'm playing the song, and at the end of it, she goes, I don't know what that was. <laughs> That's pretty funny. It was, yeah, it was, it was a reality check is what it was. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Go back to the drawing board on that one. So, um, and, and, and uh, it's just, it's just, a, you know, I have like a hundred stories like that, by the way, Corby, where, um, yeah. you know, I decided to serenade someone in the parking lot and they're like, what the fuck are you doing? Um, <laughs> just like, like complete fail. So um, you had a couple bands in the 90s. Uh, you had some solo albums in the early 2000s that were well received and, and, and very good albums. And somewhere in there, around 2006 or seven, you decided to move to Nashville. So what was that decision about and, and why Nashville? Well, I mean, a lot of it had to do with the geographical isolation that is living in the Pacific Northwest. And at that time, I just really wanted to tour all the time. And um, it was so difficult. It's, I mean, it's basically impossible to tour out of Seattle. And were you, you're still, going through, were, were you still married in 2007? Or? Oh, no, no. I got divorced like uh, I was 22 Okay. When I got divorced, so that was yeah. that was three or four years, but that definitely had a huge impact in, uh, on my life. Um, but uh, no, I've never, I haven't since married, um, and it's been a, that's like sounds like a lifetime ago now. Yeah. It was really twenty. Ago. Um, but oh, oh touring, yeah, yeah. I just, I just really, um, it's, it's very difficult to tour out of Seattle. Uh, you can go to Portland; that's three hours away, no problem. Uh, the next city, Sacramento, is eight hours away from Portland, and then uh, and then San Francisco and L.A. And then, you, and then you're still just on the West Coast. So to tour inland or anything, it was just like <clears throat> a Herculean effort, and I did it for years. Um, but it was impossible to build anything that was happening. The other thing was that I just wasn't the flavor du jour in Seattle. I mean, Death Cab was hitting, uh, Modest Mouse was huge. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it was kind of like art rock. And mm-hmm. I was like listening to Doc Watson and Norman Blake and it was all roots for me. I mean, I didn't listen to anything electric for like five years in my 20s. And it wasn't because I was a snob about it. I was just like super interested in roots music um, and reading bluegrass histories. And I went out uh, for a year of undergrad. I went to West Virginia and Appalachia and studied bluegrass music back there. And I was just really <clears> – <throat> I wanted to go to the source. Um, yeah, so you found so and, you to be the source maybe over, let's say, in Austin or – yeah, you know, it was funny because I just – it never occurred to me to be part of um, a more mainstream musical culture until I was in my late 20s. It's really weird, but I just never even thought about it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and like that's part – it kind of ties up with the film thing. It never occurred to me to make a music video or something. I just wasn't interested in it because it was just like something that people in L.A. did. And it wasn't until I lived like my last two years in the Pacific Northwest, I lived in Seattle two or three years. And in there I, I befriended uh, this gal, this rock photographer named Bootsy and we became really good friends and she ended up shooting a music video for me and <clears throat> doing the, the experience of doing that. It was like, Oh, this is no different than being in a band. Like these are my new friend. These are friends. We're all working on this thing and we're just making something. And it was it, it, like I couldn't have connected the dots had I not experienced it firsthand. But once I did, I was like, oh, that's something that you, I can do. Also, technology was changing quickly enough that you could start. It was sort of, you know, iMovie was out by then and you could kind of start to do something like that um, in a way that didn't seem like it would cost, you know, $50,000. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And I think when you're in your early 20s, it's all about idealism like what you how you want to do it and, and you know, what you stand for and you're figuring that out and then you get far enough in your career where you say i just want to do what works and yeah and and, and this works and, and your timing at coming to nashville couldn't have been better because you were sort of witnessing in parallel sort of the rise of youtube which you took full advantage of right I mean, I, I don't know about that. I don't have like a lot of, I've never really figured out how to crack the algorithm. I don't have a ton of subscribers or anything. I do make a ton of videos. Yeah. You do um, like a weekly cover, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or some, some kind of cover or original song or I put out a lot of content. Um, and that's really, that's been something that if I were to say, you know, if you were to ask me like what my, I feel like my principal strength is in this whole creative thing. Um, I mean, I self-identify as a writer first and foremost. Um, I enjoy the challenge of coming up with something out of nothing. And there's also in writing, the creative control in writing is insane. I mean, you're, you're a God of the universe when you sit down at a blank page, right. you sit there, there's nobody but yourself that's limiting you. If you can dream it, you can do it. If you can express it, it exists. That's fucking amazing. Right. Yeah. Like, and <clears throat> that's what's, that's, you know, it's like everything actual filmmaking isn't filmmaking is all about bringing, you know, heaven to earth. You got to like, how do you make the words on the page come alive? Mm-hmm. That costs, that takes t- a lot of people and talented people and money and a whole other thing. I really, really enjoy that too. Um, but first and foremost, I really like coming up with the idea. 
And um, I've had a lot of practice at it now over the years. I'm, I'm a total book nerd. I have been since I was a little kid. <clears throat> it's something that my parents did give me. They weren't interested. Oh, God, I don't know. Thousands. I mean, I don't even <laughs> – that just sounds – if I say any number, it's just going to be dumb. But I read as a – I mean as a way of life. I read every single day. I'm, and I'm just basically interested in, in books. It's not like an achievement or anything. It's just a, a, a itch I have to scratch. Besides uh, your um, own book, Medium Hero, uh, what would be a, a couple of books you'd recommend to uh, creatives? Um, well, uh, for writing, uh, Stephen King's book on writing is exemplary. Uh, Do you know the title? On writing, it's called on writing. Oh, oh on writing, got it. Okay. Yep. Um, yeah, must a must read for sure, and it's and it's actually a great read. It's not hard to read. It's inspiring, and the first half of it kind of tells his story. You know, because he got he was he was famously a wasteoid for the first half of his career. Um, he, I mean, I don't know how you write wasted. Like I can get a little buzzed and do it, and sometimes it's helpful. But um, he's like you know drinking all day and doing blow and writing novels. That's crazy to me. Mm -hmm. Um, he's also like crazy talent. Uh, that book's great. Anne Lamott wrote a book called bird by bird. That's really helpful for writing. Um, I'm not a huge fan of her actual writing, but that book I like a lot. Um, in, in, uh, one of the most interesting filmmaking books I've ever read is, uh, by William Goldman Mm -hmm. called adventures in the screen trade. And uh, William Goldman is just like a <clears throat> crazy talent. He wrote um, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and uh, The Princess Bride. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of the most important movies of all time. And <clears throat> he just had a really long career. And he writes so um, encouragingly about the the challenge of being a screenwriter because he he wasn't he doesn't think of himself as a particularly smart guy. He wasn't good at school. It didn't occur to him to start writing until he was, you know, relatively old. Um, and yet he, he's very, um, self-assured. It would be a way this, I feel like there's something about people that you have to ride a strange balance between like recognizing a shortcoming when you see one in your, in yourself and also knowing when to be bullheaded and plow through despite uh-huh. anyone's opinion. And, um, I, f- I find myself writing that line a lot. And I, it's a question I ask myself a lot because I tend to, I tend to be bullheaded. If I get through it, I hate everything I make. Um, with exception of the things that I actually want. true artist. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's so funny. It's like you go, one second you're like, I'm a fucking genius. And the next second you're just like, why did I even ever start doing this? Like what, what led me to believe that I had a shot? Cause I'm terrible. Um, you know, you're always going between those two extremes, but, uh, there's something about, and it comes back to the writing for me as I, I agonize over writing. I, I, I don't like doing it, but I make myself do it, um, every day. And I, and I take it very seriously and I also am a natural fan of, of writing. You know, I, I feel very calm opinions on writing because I've had a life of reading it. And I, and I, I don't read it to, I read it just because I love it. And so all of my, my, you know, 
evaluation of my own writing is based on this extant love of the written word. And so like going, you know, actually creating something on the page is just agonizing. And you're just like, you're just fumbling in the dark. Where is this going? I don't know. And you're trying to, with screenwriting, it's a whole other different kind of writing that um, I'm only, you know, two years into. Um, And that's, it's so meticulous in screenwriting. You have to be you can't tell what's going on inside the person's head. Head, you have to the character's head. You have to show it have to show through it, action, right. mm-hmm. and 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 also with um, the short form narrative thing that I'm doing with Morse code. There's just you have to trim all the fat. There's no room. Everything has to push the story forward. Every line, every action, and you're asking yourself all the time, what does this character need in this scene? What is the obstacle? Why does he need this scene? How come the? How does the obstacle arise out of? out of the character's basic need. And you're having to juggle so many things all at once that um, it's, it's, it's extraordinarily difficult, which is what I love about it. And so once I get it down on a page and I get through it and I'm like, okay, this is done. We're going to make this. At that point, I've gone through it so many times that it's not like I can't listen to reason. If somebody has an opinion about something, you should go. But I'm, they have to be pretty damn sure. They have to convince me of why something has to be different because I've thought about it from so many angles by that point and I've gone through so many edits. I mean, most of the episodes of Morse code go through 15 to 20 edits um, before we shoot. And that's right. usually just me. And like sometimes those edits happen the morning of the shoot. I mean, I rewrote oh, a sure. speech that I get, gave in the, uh, in episode four, five o'clock in the morning. Because I couldn't, I was woke up in the middle of the night. It's like that's no, it's not right. He wouldn't say that. He can't be that confident. <laughs> yeah, yeah, anyway, yeah. anyway, so you know, uh, I'm kind of rambling a little bit, but no, it's it, it's great because it touches on a question I actually wanted to ask you. Uh, because I, I, I do wonder, and I think it'd be helpful for the for the listeners to know, you know, how does writing a web series challenge you compared to songwriting? or let's say long form prose for a book. Yeah. I um, that's touched gr- on it there. I mean, uh, but expound upon it if you'd like. Yeah, totally. Um, uh, yeah, well, yeah, we, I did touch on it uh, in the sense that, you know, the writing thing for me, like I said, started out of a love of reading. And, um, and then when I moved to Nashville, like I was at that point, I'd only played music. I was about 30 years old. And, um, right when I got to town, I won an important songwriting contest and then got picked up by a, a little indie label. And I was like, great, this is what's supposed to happen. You know, I was like self high five and then cut to seven months later, the label imploded and I had no money and I was 2000 miles away from my home and fan base and had no marketable skills. I was, it was like a real, uh, <clears throat> dark, dark night of the soul kind of moment where I was like, okay, are you going to move back home? Are you, you're going to, if you're going to stay, you're going to get a straight job because you can't make this music thing happen right now. And then I was like, well, what do I do? I don't even know how to like wait tables or anything. Mm -hmm. And I ended up long story short, parking cars at the Hermitage hotel downtown for about three years. Mm -hmm. And, um, and at first, you know, my, my little sensitive feelings were hurt by that because I like conceived of myself as an artiste and the world wasn't really, uh, allowing me to maintain that illusion anymore. And, um, 
but really quickly it was it was very positive experience for me because um it forced me to ask the question to myself you know like well you know, are you serious about this? You know, are you a creative? You know, there's no reason for you to keep doing it anymore. You might, you, you could grow up now, go to grad school and get a normal job and no one would blame you. You, you gave it a good shot. And also there's no indication that you have any future success whatsoever. And I'm like sitting here parking cars while I'm having this conversation with myself and man, you know, like a month later, two months later, it was just so obvious that I was like, I'm a creative guy. That's just what I do. I don't care that I'm parking cars. It, like once I got over it, it was just like totally fine. Everybody's got to work. And I actually kind of like it. I go in, I hang out with people that I sort of like. And as soon as I'm off the clock, I can do whatever I want. There's nobody waiting for me. I don't have to keep my career going. There was, it was just like, it was so free. And, um, it was in that time that I started writing the, I mean, I was also super depressed. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. But, uh, but I, but that freedom with the depression allowed me to uh, like all this time to just experiment with stuff. And that's when I started to like, I started writing short stories and I started making videos that were just weird, creative videos that had uh, no yeah, point. I watched your short film Bike Crash, and I oh I yeah, that that's your, what, yeah, I, that's I, exactly I, what I'm talking about. I, I, uh, I assume that was your first foray into writing for film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and like I'd never even that was just uh, the, the excuse for those videos was I'd schedule a, sh a local show because I was still you know trying to make my music thing happen, and mm -hmm. now. Uh, and so I was like, well, I'll just do something unique to promote the show. So I would make a little short film um, that would take way more work than actually making the show happen. But it would be it was really fun. You know, that's the thing about filmmaking for me is that the actual process of filming is such a joy. I mean, it's like an addictive, crazy mm -hmm. Dionysian joy. And uh, that's and that started then. You know, I had this concept for Bike Crash. I didn't know how to write a script or I didn't, you know, use Final Draft or anything like that. And so I just I just made a shot list like this will be the first shot. This will be the second shot. This will be the third shot. And then, you know, I, I, I shot both of those films on uh, a $200 camcorder that I bought at Walmart. I couldn't even afford it. I shot the films, and then I took it back the next day. I did that over <laughs> and over again early on. Of course. That's, a, that's, <laughs> you know? that's great. That's, that's great. It's great ingenuity. And I, I, I watched it, and, I, you know, you can tell, you know, you didn't have um, everything you needed. But, but I think it's also a movie with no dialogue. So you were smart about – you were smart about – um, making sure that there wasn't going to be a lot of technical that you had to put into it from a sound perspective and, and from a shot perspective that was going to hurt sort of the overall concept of the film. Um, so if I hear the, the sort of roar of the, of the engine that's like on the car that's driving the camera, shooting you riding your bike down the interstate, that doesn't bother me because I'm just watching you ride a bike anyway. And, I, yeah. and, I, and, I, and a lot of quirky things happen in this short, but I think the, the most interesting thing about it is, is and, and maybe the most either intentionally or unintentionally clever thing about it, Corby, mm. is that it's named a bike crash and you're sitting there as if you are waiting for when you're going to slam into something on your bike <laughs> and it never happens until <clears throat> the very last second. Sorry, spoiler. 
it's been 10 years. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> 10 years spoiler. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought that was really smart. Thanks man. And yeah, I mean, that was, that made me smile just remembering that, that film and, um, that, that, you know, I can say that that like that led to what I'm doing now in this weird, everything has been so crooked and it all came out of necessity. You know, I, I like, it's always been important to me to do something different, whatever that was, to try to do something that hadn't been done before. I mean, this is what I'm doing right now. And um, that's been a, a through line for my whole career. And, you know, the, those early videos are a great example of that. I had this idea, I had a crappy bike that I picked up at Craigslist and uh, it didn't matter if I destroyed it or not. And I had also made a video before of me on a pair of Heelys um, when I first moved to Nashville, I made this video. It was about two minutes long and it was the same thing. I did the shot list. It was, this was the very first thing I ever made. Yeah. And, um, and I crash on the Heelys and it's such a terrible crash. I'm like going down a two steep hill on Heelys and I did it on, I was like, just make sure the camera rolls. Cause I know there's no way I'm going to be able to stay on my feet for this. And sure enough, it was, I, I didn't thank God I didn't break anything, but it was funny. And it was also just like, oh, it was cringeworthy. And I, I like, I was like, yeah, I did that. I was my own stunt double for this. It's and like, you, it's so like then, you understood early that people will tune in to watch someone crash. Hurt themselves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I mean, who hasn't what, I mean, that's the appeal of jackass. Like that, it's so funny to watch yeah. idiots do something stupid yeah. and then hurt themselves, but hopefully not hurt themselves too bad. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so I, I was like, well, let's try a bike crash one. And then, so I wrote this little story and, and it was all about, you know, I had, I knew this tall, beautiful girl, but it's like, what if there's a scene where this guy stands next to a girl that's just way too tall for him and she's intimidating. That's just inherently funny to me. Mm-hmm. And it's also something I could do. And I had this friend who lived in a, a building with an elevator and he had, I'd been to a party at his house and he had this, this, he had a great view and a grand piano. And I knew a friend who could play the piano really well. And it was just like drawing on my very limited resources and then writing a story around what was, what, you know, what was at hand. Yeah. And, um, that's exactly what I'm doing right now with Morse code. I'm writing for these characters and I'm drawing on every single resource I have in terms of like, you know, <clears throat> episode two has a guy named Kenneth Hattengale from a band called the McCartan kids, mm-hmm. which are r- really slamming in uh, the Americana world. And he's a friend of mine. We met at a coffee shop right around the corner from my house and let's write a part for him and see if he'd be game to do it. And, and he was, and that became episode two. But it's, it, it's it, all about it's, that. And it's a pretty cool episode. I, you know, I, I really enjoy Morse code. And, um, uh, and, and you convinced a friend essentially to be a real dick to you, um, it, it, it was, which, which may not put him in the best light. But, he, but it was also very funny at the end, sort of when he walks out uh, of the bar and says, have you, have you heard me sing? Um, yeah. Uh, and I was actually there on set that day uh, during that during that shoot. Oh, that's yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. totally. I, I think I'm in one of your promo steals uh, for. I love it. Like I'm the guy like that's standing in between uh, your shoulders. Uh, yeah. In the black t-shirt. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So, so so I enjoyed watching that. I I loved how meticulous <clears throat> the movie was about 
getting the lights perfect. And um, I love watching Nathan's process. And um, obviously, uh, um, you know, Sarah Antonio has, was in other versions of you, which we executive produced and did a concert yeah. on. And um, so it just felt very Sandrine is the assistant AD. And I, I love Sandrine. Um, oh, I love Sandrine. Yeah. Yeah. Matthews. And she's, she's, she's wonderfully talented as well. And, 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 um, deserves her day in the sun as well. So I, I think, um, I think just, it felt, it felt very, very warm just to go there on set and say, man, there, you know, everyone that's a creative in Nashville, uh, might be here. And just the idea that that could happen. I think I talked to person inside, uh, right before I walked in. So it was just uh-huh. like, it's like this whole community feel, uh, um, going on set and, um, and, and it was a pleasure. So I appreciate you and allowing me to be on set for that episode. Oh, well, I, no, I, I mean, thank you for being there, man. And that, I mean, t- to your point that that's exactly what I mean when I say that it's just like those film days are so, there's so much, there's so immediately rewarding, you know, because there's just like all these creative people are there. It seems like most people are glad to be there. We're all like, we all believe in what we're doing. And it's just a total joy, like to be around that many creative people and to have everybody trying to do this one thing. I mean, that's really what's sustaining me in, in, in this whole pursuit right now, because it's totally insane. You know, I'm like paying for the show with my folk singing career, which I mean, you know, I pay my bills, but ain't nobody getting rich. Right. right. And, um, it, it just feels like a crazy dream, but I'm trying to be smart about it. And, um, and the, what's sustaining me is just that, like that feeling of working with other talented people, um, and doing it together. It's just, it's so fun. Yeah. And you're so broad. You've been doing this for so long. I'm curious, you know, what two pieces of advice uh, have you received so far in your career? And, and, uh, what what are two of the best pieces of advice I should say that you've gotten in your career so far and who did they come from? I mean, you told you, you, asked me that last night you told me you were going to ask me this. And, um, I, I just think about this a lot and I don't have like a clear moment, but I have a few things that I, from ob- observation of myself and others, um, that I could say, which are that if Anna set out to like, <clears throat> there's two pieces, everybody's selfish. Mm-hmm. Everybody's in it for themselves. And that's not a bad thing, but it's important to recognize that. And it's important to recognize that because it allows you to, to put forward your dream in a language that's going to make sense to the people you need to have help you. <laughs> that's a clumsy way of saying it. But like I like the Kenneth Pattengale thing, great example. Kenneth, I have nothing to offer him musically that he doesn't already have. I cannot help him in his career. But when I met him, I one sensed that this guy would be good on film. He's got an, an essential gravitas about him, his personality. And, and he's got a good kind of roguish face. Yeah. And, 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 uh, and so I did, I did what I, I did a, a film test with him that he didn't know that that's what it was. Cause I, um, I, I had a ruse, let's say, where I was doing a show last January in Nashville. And to promote the show, I had this 
that what if all of my colleagues, some of whom are more famous than me, were to try to endorse me and encourage people to come to my show, except that they just couldn't quite do it because, you know, they had to be honest. And so it was like 30 people in Nashville, some of whom were quite well known, trying to say something nice about me, but not quite being able to do it. And um, yeah, yeah, it was was just funny to me to do. And it was just funny to watch what my friends would say on camera, you know, on the record about me. And um, so like I got Kenneth to do it and I just wanted to mostly just see what he would have, how he would be on, on camera. And then once I saw it, I was just like, yeah, this guy's this guy's money. And so, and also talking to him, I was like, I can't, I have nothing to offer this guy in music, but I, I think that he would be interested in acting. I think that he, I think he senses it in himself and he's never had the opportunity. And here's kind of a low pressure, relatively speaking chance to, to explore this area of himself. So I can provide that. And so like recognizing what was maybe a need in Kenneth and being able to, to, to fill that need in a way that helped me, like allowed me to put that forward to him. And he was like, he heard it and he was like, yeah, I would do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, you know, he did a favor to me, but he also got something out of it. Right. And I try to be very sensitive to that with everybody involved in the project and it, not just in my filmmaking, but um, in everything I do musically. And, and that's like, that's everything like club promoters, booking agents, managers, uh, house concert promoters, everybody's doing it for themselves in their own weird way. They had their different reasons, but you have to recognize that and see what you have to offer that allows them to get what they need out of the arrangement. And the more that you can approach your challenges and obstacles and relationships that way, the happier everyone's going to be. And you'll have an easier and easier time of accomplishing your, your goals and dreams. Uh, that's one thing. And then the other thing is that <clears throat> the number one thing, I think it way more important than, than even talent is perseverance. And I would say that I, that is one thing that I bring to the table is that I am motherfucking relentless mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter if it's writing or songwriting or, I mean, <clears throat> I don't want to say I don't take no for an answer because I do listen to when there's, there's real walls that come up and it seems like, okay, let's take a long, hard look at this. Maybe we need to rethink our approach. Maybe we need to channel our energies in a different direction. I, I, I try to be sensitive to that. And I think that I am. Um, but I will, if I have something that I want to have happen, I just <clears throat> given a long enough time, I'm going to make it happen. It's yeah. like there's no, there's no exceptions. I really and, think that's been the case too. I've you know with the amount you've put out on YouTube and and I, you know I just, I, I'm not looking at your subscribers or your views. I'm just looking at your consistency. The fact that you're putting things out all the time. So those thousand true fans you have are, are constantly rewarded uh, by following you. Well, that's a nice way of looking at it. <laughs> I wish that I knew how to do it in a way that was more, I, I don't really know. You know, I, that's the thing is I try to, I've noticed over the years, you know, we all have strengths and weaknesses and I, we all try to play to our strengths or we should. And I noticed that my strength is that I'm kind of good at a lot of things. I'm not super good at any one thing. That's a liability, mm-hmm. but because I'm kind of good at a lot of things, I 
can, you know, I can make a film or I can write a song or I can sing the song or I can play guitar solo or I can. And that's because I've, I have learned to manipulate to, to some degree of proficiency, a number of, of medias, media, uh, be it like, you know, I've produced many records now. I know my way around producing music. Um, and I know my way around Final Cut Pro pretty well, having done it for 10 years. And so I can create stuff really quickly, uh, whereas a lot of people need somebody to help them with this part or that part. And um, so I've, I'm like, okay, I'm a guy who can make a lot of content. So let's do that. Um, and that's the, the positive thing about that is it makes any one thing I do, it's not do or die at any given moment. It's just... You just move to the next part of the ongoing experiment. Yeah, you just move to the next <laughs> yeah. creative thing, and and no, I, I think that's wonderful, and I, and I appreciate you you answering that. Um, how how autobiographical is Morse code? <laughs> well, and, and why I'm did not, you name it Morse code? I'm not I'm not married, and I don't have a kid, so it's not totally autobiographical. Um, I do, but the themes are very autobiographical. The theme being, how do you how do you chase your dream and maintain essential human ties? Um, that's the question that Morse code is asking. How do you do that when, when uh, a decision in favor of one is a decision ag- against the other? Mm-hmm. In this case, how, you know, a decision in favor of furthering your career distances you from your daughter. Mm-hmm. So how do you, how do, but you don't, you feel like you can't abandon your dream, and, but you also don't want, to abandon your, your kid. Anyway, that's the, that's, those, the, <clears throat> the that's the, the tension inherent in everything that the main character Simon is going through. Um, and I feel that, um, yeah, I, I, thought, I mean, I I've love, had I love your song, really uh, difficult I'm times. Trying. Uh, I, I, yeah. I really love that song. I think it's an answer for every man that has a dream and a relationship. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, that's something we all, and not men and women too. Like, it's just something everybody goes through if they, because, you know, when you're, when you're doing art, it's essentially a selfish pursuit, right? You're like, you you should be doing a hundred other things. And it's way easier to justify baking cookies for your neighbors than it is writing a song, like sitting by yourself, maybe coming up with something, maybe not. So it's, it's a weird, it's a crazy thing to do, but if you have to do it, you have to do it. And so what are you willing to sacrifice to that end? So that's anyway, that's, um, that part is very autobiographical. Um, and then Morse code, I, I mean, I like, I'm a guy who lives by titles, mm-hmm. my songs. I write to titles a lot of time. I usually, I often will write the title first. There's super duper exceptions to that. My short stories are not that way. Um, but, uh, I like the sound of Morse code and then the, uh, the, what Morse code is, you know, it's a, it, it, it's an, it's a language that's created to help people communicate with one another, but it's not a perfect language. It's a clumsy language. It's an antiquated language. And there's something about the show. Uh, the characters in the show are trying to connect with one another. There's a lot of good intentions in the characters in the show. And there's a lot of, of, um, sadness that happens in spite of those good intentions. And, um, there's a lot of miscommunications, you know, miscommunications. 
And I like that theme and I, I know that theme very well in my own life from just feeling misunderstood, but trying to be, to, 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 to be understood and knowing that the person misunderstanding me is also trying to understand me. Like that is frustrating. <laughs> you know, and everyone's there trying to connect and still can't. Like that's, that's an interesting idea that I feel like can go a long, a long ways. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it's it's been such a pleasure and, and uh, to watch it and and, and, and you know, I wish you a, a ton of success, Corby. Um, keep going with the story. I think it's interesting. Um, I love the the infusion of your music into it. I don't think you beat people over the head with it. And uh, it is it's it's funny. It's it's a little bit um, introspective, a little bit sad. Uh, a lot of uh, there's, there's Seinfeldian moments in there. Um, I think you know, if you guys, if you're li- listening to this, go watch Morse Code. You can watch it on Vimeo. Is there anywhere else you can see it, Corby? I mean, my website. There's a link there. Um, often on my Instagram, I'll have it in the bio when I'm promoting the new show. Or you can come to the basement in Nashville, May 23rd for my birthday show and the world premiere of episode four of Morse code. Awesome. I hope I get an invite. Oh buddy, you're on there. (laughs) Are we Facebook friends? Uh, we, I think we are. I think we're Facebook and Instagram friends. Okay. I'll make sure that that we're all connected there. Yeah. I think we're connected. I can't wait to see that. I'm, I'm really excited for it. Um, uh, if, if you have time, I only have a couple more questions. Is that okay? Yeah, man. Awesome. Go so, ahead. So how did you get uh, Sarah Antonio into this uh, show? What, what was <laughs> yeah, your idea? She's, a, she's a get. Um, yeah. Well, um, I, a, a huge part of this is because of for, the fourth wall. I mean, that's how I met all of these people. I mean, the fourth wall, the acting studio in Nashville – I mean, just I can, there's no way I could have come close to making Morse code without being a part of that community. And that's Sarah was uh, the two, one in Tuesday night for quite a while when I was. And um, so was so was Olivia, who plays Leah in the show. And that was what was really fun. I mean, there's so many things about filmmaking I love: the writing, the acting. I like making it happen, so I, the producing, but uh, also the casting. It's so fun. I mean, like right now I'm casting the six-year-old kid uh, for a scene and I, it's like killing me. I'm like going to all the, all the agents in town and I'm reached down to Atlanta now to f- try to find a kid who's the right kid. Um, but once you find that person, it's just like everything is easy. It's amazing because they don't really – I mean for me, what I'm looking for in actors is minimal acting. I really write – I really write to the – the personality. Um, and that was the case with Sarah. I mean, I wrote her character. I had seen her in so many different scenarios, comedy, serious, she's got chops, you know, and she's, she's got a a lot more range than I have, but she's also like inherently Sarah. She's, she's smart. She's punctual in her personality. She's a type a in, um, that comes through in everything that she does. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, this is perfect. Like she would be perfect for this kind of angry, but, but more complicated mom. Um, Sarah, I don't know if you've seen episode three, but, but her character really gets, a, gets more, uh, more color 
mm-hmm. as it were, and, and the new set and her, her trajectory is going to be pretty interesting. Um, but <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it was just, it, we'd worked together a lot in scenes. I liked our chemistry and, you know, there was a part two where, um, she came to a show I played in Nashville and it meant a lot to me. Um, these busy and she's a mom and um she came and saw me do my thing and um that that like it kind of like touched my heart (laughs) i was like she does she just sort of gets me a little bit and that made me feel like we could really do something um so it's been i mean like you know i'm so touched that she's part of the show and that that olivia is another amazing actor that's part of the show and Mm -hmm. that you know people are doing this for the love i mean there's yeah, her, her trajectory is getting colorful as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. We're just getting started. I mean, I'm just, just like I'm having so much fun. Like, and it's it's really funny because I'm I'm making this 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 show. You know, it's it's just intermixed with everything else I've got going on in my life to try to make a living. You know, in the arts, and so I'm I book my own shows. I tour all the time. I have to like keep all of those plates spinning, and so I I really wish that I could just sit down and just like write the rest of the season and go like, here's the, here's the roadmap. This is where we're going. Okay. Now let's get there. And, um, that's just not possible. It's just like, I've been trying to do it. I wanted to do it in January matters. You know, I also was on the road for 70 days, uh, until like last week and just like writing, finding time to write here and there. And it's all, everything takes forever on the road and it's not very easy to be creative and anyway, but it's also like, that's how I make my living. And so I have to honor that. And so it's just and, very and, interesting. And you've had to be very disciplined. I mean, you've written a book. I, I mean, are you a morning or a night writer? Morning for sure. Yeah. Um, I, w- I mean, I think if I had a different lifestyle, if I didn't live in Nashville, I would be a, ri- a night writer because mm-hmm. I like, I like the night better, but <clears throat> I find that the, all of the administrative tasks, let's say, um, I mean, administration consumes most of the hours of my day for sure. Like promoting stuff, organizing stuff, returning emails, getting back to that guy, you know, like I already, I just went and made the mistake of checking my inbox while we've been talking and I'm like, Oh crap, gotta get back to that. (laughs) And, uh, and, and for me, as soon as I do that, like go into that part of my brain, it's really hard to find that, the little ticklish part Yeah. again, yeah. you know, so I have to do a first thing in the morning when it's fresh coffee. And usually I'll wake up, you know, fairly early, Talking 5 get a cup of coffee in me. What do you think? No, no, no. I mean, six, six is pretty good for me. Um, and, and si- sometimes it's even seven. If I'm like, lately I've been up late doing other crap. Or, or if going to shows, I, I mean, I'm pretty, I participate a lot in the music scene. I also live like basically, you know, a few blocks from Dino's where we shot, uh, yeah. where we filmed. And so I, you know, I go to the Nashville. five spot yep. in the basement in East Nashville. Yeah. And uh, so I'm so close to like a couple of world-class clubs and there's just great bands going through it. And I love music, you know, I totally love live music. And so I, I try to feed that beast pretty regularly. Anyway, I, you know, I'm not bored. <laughs> it doesn't sound like it at all, man. And, and, uh, and you not being bored is good because it entertains us. So uh, thank you again, Corby, so much for, for joining us uh, in this conversation. Uh, tell everybody where they can find you on the internet and on social media. Yeah, Chris. Uh, on Instagram, I'm Corby Corby with K, a K-O-R-B-Y, K-O-R-B-Y. Uh, that's me on Twitter too. Um, Facebook is CorbyLenker.com. 
Um, my, my personal Facebook is Corby one Kenobi, like Obi Wan. Mm-hmm. Um, and my website's Cor- corbylinker.com. I do. My, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I, I tend to like everything kind of comes out of Instagram these days for me. So that's like my principal communication to the world. And then I, you know, people are on Facebook and stuff. So you have to like acknowledge that. And so, but I'll usually every all the other social media platforms are derivative of the, the essential Instagram platform. Yeah. Do you I find that? Do you, do you mostly? No, it's true. We, I had a conversation with um, a couple of people on this podcast about that very fact. Um, one was Brandon Hirsch, uh, who's an actor mm, in yeah. town, and, and the other one was um, was a Terry Jingles. Um, mm. We both were talking about how, you know, really Instagram is, is uh, almost more efficient, a faster way. And, and look, we, we set up this whole interview on Instagram. Um, that's right. We used email at the very end. So uh, it, just, it just, it shows that we're, you know, that's the sign. That's where it's going. You know, as Steve Jobs said, go where the puck is going or going to be, not where it's at. And that's kind of what we're doing. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with it, honestly. Um, I, I have one last question for you, then I'll let you go. Yep. Yes, sir. Um, what lyric of yours would you have inscribed on your headstone? Oh God, that's a terrible question, man. Oh, they're mostly because it requires me to remember a lyric of mine. Um, oh, and, and part two of that question, by the way, Corby is what lyric do you wish you would have written of someone else's? I just heard think- the song and said, damn, I wish I wrote that. Tangled Up in Blue by Bob Dylan is just like maybe one of the maybe the greatest song of all time from just like pure songwriting chops and a clever way of telling a long story. Do you know that song Tangled Up in Blue by Bob Dylan? I don't think so. It's okay. It's okay. He yeah, listen to it. He basically he just takes the phrase tangled up in blue, and that's the the cat the 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 hook in every verse, but he uses that phrase in a completely different way in each verse. And, but it so pushes the story forward. I mean, it is just a master stroke of, of poetry. Is there um, a lyric in Tangled Up in Blue that, that you wish, like a part of it you wish? Oh, don't just like, no, like I'm, here's the thing about me. I have such a terrible memory for specific things. Like even my own, I'm like trying to think of a song I've written. I'm like, what is <laughs> Like there's like Northern Lights. That's the first song on there. I like that one. Uh, I mean, uh, Friend there, and a Friend. Yeah. There's a song I wrote, um, the one that I play with Molly Tuttle, um, mm-hmm. "Friend and a Friend." That's a uh, that, that's that's a pretty true song for me because um, it really does d- describe my way of, of of moving myself forward in the universe. Which is, I've never had like, there's never been a moment of like a big bang explosion where all of a sudden I like mattered. But I've I've just cobbled together this this livelihood from, you know, stringing together these shows and making fans really one at a time. And, um, that's what that, 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 that song is about that. Some days it's wide open. Some days it's a dead end. Some days I feel like I'm walking on the wild West end. I got a big B18 and all I need is a friend and a friend and another friend. That's like, that'd be a great, (laughs) that'd be a great headstone lyric. Uh, Uh, give, give, it, give, it, give it to us one more time. One more time. Okay. Uh, let's see. 
Um, some days, some days it's wide open. Some days it's a dead end. Some days I feel like I'm walking on the wild west end. I got a big dream and a worn out D18, which is a kind of guitar. Mm -hmm. And all I need is a friend and a friend and another friend. That's beautiful, man. That's beautiful. It's really well written. And, uh, man, this is a blast. Corby, thank you so much for your time, brother. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. It's been a pleasure. Man, this is fun. So I'll, I hope to see you soon. And uh, definitely May 23rd for the birthday blowout and premiere. Count on it. All right, man. Take care. Be good. All right. You too, buddy. All right. All see right. ya. Bye. 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 You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find out more information on this week's creative, including links to their projects and social media feeds, please visit our website at www.bonsai.film forward slash make it. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative. If you do that, the show will pop right up. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step toward your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Show Me How to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.